So what I wanted to do is do something um, that's very biblical, but not necessarily a Bible study. It's sort of a life living the Bible study, if that makes sense. So we've had Hebrews 11 talk to us about some examples of those who are willing to take that adventure, that leap of faith with God. And I thought that tonight I would invite my friends Susan and Greg Mahoney to kind of talk with me about their adventure they've gone on. And part of the reason for this, too, is it's applicational. You, you read the scriptures and we hear these things that we've been talking about for six weeks. And then all of a sudden you're like, that's cool. But what does that actually look like when the rubber meets the road? Well, here is an example. And there are so many people we could be talking with and getting examples from. But unfortunately, as chapter 11 says, time does not give us justice to talk about them all. So it sort of lists, a, it throws a bone to a few at the end of chapter 11. Um, so we'll throw a bone to you too if you think that you have a great tale to tell. Um, but if you will with me, let's read Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. And then we'll get into um, letting the Mahonies share what God has done in their life. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and this cloud of witnesses is the heroes mentioned in chapter 11, and all those names and all the stories and the examples that the author had given to us, since we're surrounded by that cloud of witnesses, let us also, in other words, let's join them, let's lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus becomes our ultimate example. And all who follow him as far as he's gone... We all have stories of faith to share. Well, so to my left, in these cozy chairs that we have, uh, you guys are probably lucky that I, we don't have these every week because your Bible studies might get longer and longer. <laughs> I stand on purpose so I can end sooner. <laughs> um, yeah, they are cozy. We should probably replace the front row with these and give them to the Saint of the Month Award. What do you think, Pastor Mike? <laughs> No, all right. So, so to my left is Susan, and my further left is Greg Mahoney. And um, why don't we just start real quick, uh, just to get this out of the way? Uh, what do you guys do? How long have you lived up here? Um, I work at LACS, uh, Lake Arrowhead Christian School, here on the property. Um, I now work at the office. I was a substitute for a while, and um, we've been on the mountain for three years now. Three years now, and. Uh, My job right now is um, for San Bernardino County. I'm a welfare fraud investigator. And uh, for 20 years before that, I was with the Los Angeles Police Department as a detective. Um, been on the, been married for Susan for 32 years now. And um, our exp- coming to the mountains, one of the best things that's happened to us. And do you guys have any kids? Oh, that's right. We have a couple of those. I got a... Uh, Got a um, 32-year-old 30, and a 30-year-old, and then um, we're also raising Mary Maggie, our granddaughter, who we just adopted. She's seven. seven years old. So you guys are very much like 
the uh, McGovros in that sense, Pastor yeah. McGovro, in uh, adopting right. your grandchildren. Right, and trying <laughs> to find the energy for it. All right, so they've been up here a short time, but they have a long uh, story. And honestly, um, Brittany and I got the privilege of hearing it in kind of its entirety. And it took three and a half hours. It's okay, that was its entirety. And that was without me asking any questions. So this is definitely worth its while. If you ever want to schedule a uh, dinner, invite them over or something, and you'll have free entertainment. (laughs) But... um, Tonight, we thought we'd try to hit some of the basics because there are definitely some highlights here. And again, this the reason for the story is that, look, this here is where God has called a couple to an adventure. And they had to depart, and they had to go, and they had to have faith, and they had to trust. And there's a lot of things that had happened. And the reason it's interesting for us is because we get to have the reminder that God calls us as well to change us. That the adventure always has a purpose to it. So let's dive in and begin where the roots start with your spiritual upbringing. So Susan, you were raised as a Lutheran. Yes. And Greg was raised as a Catholic. (laughs) So already the story is interesting because we have that which the Reformation sought to separate. They reunited in marriage. Now, I, I just want to hear, first of all, what was it like being raised as a Lutheran? Um, it's very much like being here, actually. So coming back here kind of felt, for me, coming back home. Um, going to Catholicism was very stringent. And, and you went to Catholicism when you got married? Yes. So the Catholic Church trumped there? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll tell you why in a second. <laughs> there was a reason. <laughs> there was a big reason for that. My... Uh, Dad's twin brother is Roger Mahoney, the cardinal down in Los Angeles. So I've always known him as uh, Uncle Roger. Yeah, he was ever, always in there uh, ever since I was young. And to say my Catholic family is a big-time Catholic is a understatement. So I've had some big pressures on following the Catholic way. Um, and that spiritual upbringing... For me, and as we've heard many times, there's many ways to the Lord, and it does work for some folks, but for me, it was empty and void. Um, So my spiritual upbringing was vacant and uh, empty. I went to the classes begrudgingly. My parents dropped me off. As soon as they turned the corner, I'd hop the fence, go do something for an hour, come back. and because of Roger, who he was, when confirmation came on up or any uh, sacrament came on up, uh, he didn't look for proof of anything. He just went and gave you the sign of the cross, and somehow magically that worked for him. So what was already empty and void had no meaning behind it for me when that started occurring. Yeah, so you would say that the Catholic faith for you is just so much a part of family and just the name of your family and so forth that it just really meant absolutely nothing to you. Yes, but more so in part because I had no substance behind it. You see, the Catholics, for me, at least in my family, and the way Roger has done it, um, you don't know what the Bible says inside. You're just to listen to the priest. The priest tells you almost the same passages year after year. They give a homily and a lot of kneeling and standing, and 
and uh, following what you're supposed to say, but there's no substance. You know, I, like I, I hate saying bad about another religion because it works for some people. Um, judgmental love is more what I felt uh, in the Catholic religion. It wasn't. Um, I've never walked into a place and people just start hugging you the way that everybody's done here for us. I would never leave this place ever. I mean, I just, it's amazing to me. I want Mary to be here. I want her to get married here. I mean, I just, I hope that and pray that, you know, she has that same feeling that we have here. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's great. Now, so let's, let's clarify, though, there are really good people in the Catholic Church, and uh, I include my family. I have Catholic background, uh, not my household, but um, up in the ranks of the generations. We have many Catholics and many great Christians. So uh, the, the point of talking with Greg here is not to expose any or bash the Catholic Church, although it has not worked for many people, so that is an important point, and I know there are people in this room that have experienced that. Now, um, with that, uh, at the time, uh, Susan and Greg, did you guys, when you were, you know, going, kind of going through the motions of church in the early days, did you guys consider yourselves good Christians at that time? I did. I did at that time. I had a relationship with, with God, but it wasn't the deep relationship that I have now. It's, it's much different now. I, I truly feel like he's my father, being that my father passed away, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, and he really wasn't a father figure to begin with. I really have that deep, deep feeling of love with him now. Yeah, so to the best that you knew how, then you were being the best Christian you were informed to be at that time. Yes. yes. Greg? I'd say that would be a tortured question for me <laughs> because I fell away so many times. You see, um, I know what's right and wrong, and I enforce what's right and wrong, but that doesn't make you a Christian. And because I had no background or solidity in my faith, um, what meant a good Christian to me was uh, I believe in God, and I was trying to do the best I could, and that's about it. Um, you see, having the background of the Bible and everything that's in it and learning it since becoming a Christian, um, I never knew. Through all those years of being a Catholic, I never knew what the body and the blood of Christ was. When I was small, I got to go on up toward the altar many a times with Roger and they'd say and now this is the the blood of Christ and I'm looking in that cup it didn't turn red and I'm saying well I'm being lied to I didn't understand this any symbolism I really didn't catch it so so you would say there just wasn't a lot of instructing uh, no what you were doing so I couldn't even say whether I was a Christian or not because at that point I don't think I knew what a Christian was we were left to our own we were left to our own uh Vices, I guess the best way to say it, uh, to figure out what you're going to do and what you're going to do next. And now that we have the Bible and we sit down and we talk about it and we read together and Mary can <laughs> memorize things that you can't believe. Um, but it's, it's amazing that, I mean, you, you've got it right here. It's a rule book. I mean, it's basic instructions before leaving earth, you know, I mean, it's amazing. And so I can't believe all those years we didn't have that. And, for me, I, I kind of feel lied to now. I feel like that. Um, I feel like that. If Roger knew all of this that's in the Bible, why isn't this all explained to us? If we weren't supposed to read it on our own, quote unquote. 
Do you know what I mean? So that was kind of how I felt. Yeah, you felt lied to. Wow. I did. Well, let, let's fast forward because we got a lot to cover. So um, I want to I want to skip ahead to Susan. Uh, do you remember the first time you saw Greg? Oh my gosh! Yes. Yes. <laughs> Why don't you explain us the weather, what he's wearing, what you thought? Did I tell you that that night? Was this love at first sight? Give us all the goods. Oh. Okay. Oh, this is bad. <laughs> okay. Well, first off, I was dating his best friend. And we went to his other best friend's house. And Greg was there laying on the couch in these green sweats, the red stripe and a white stripe. <laughs> and I'm like, what am I doing with him? <laughs> was the first thing I thought. And so... After that moment, it was like I could care less. His name was Shannon. I could care less about him. And I was just like, okay, I'm done. And so, of course, Greg has a different story about how that relationship ended and our relationship started. <laughs> but that's pretty much what... <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it there. <laughs> how did you... Did you, were, did you? What was the first thing you said to him? How did you get... What did I say to you first? I think I was too nervous to talk to him. I couldn't believe that a guy that good looking would actually want me. To be honest with you, <laughs> I was just like, holy smokes. And then all I could think about is looking over at Shannon going, I got to get out of this. <laughs> kind of like how I felt after the, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> your turn. <laughs> First time I saw her, I go, how does Shannon always get the good looking ones? Uh, that's pretty much it. And that, the, that relationship between her and who's still my very, very best, bestest friend, Shannon, um, they finally decided to call it quits. Um, and a couple weeks later, she happened to come on over and we went on out on uh, just sort of like a, a group date thing with just whoever was going to the movies. And uh, it just sort of sprung from there. Um, I'm kissing her for the first time just made my eyes roll and uh to put it bluntly let's see how many months was it after that we got married six i was turned 18 in yeah. july and we got married the following march yeah so it was pretty quick <laughs> so young and fast and fast, fast Run, and furious and fast and four months pregnant four months pregnant so and, all uh, of this is just it's a whirlwind it's a tornado uh yeah. you guys got married young yeah, we don't know what we're How doing. How did marriage look not knowing what you were doing and being of two different, very very different backgrounds? You don't know nothing about someone after six months. <laughs> Once the, the phase of lust goes away, you start the arguments. You have no communication skills. Um, you don't know what they like or don't like. Because neither of our parents had communication skills very well. I mean, neither one of us raised, were raised with great communication skills that we have now. So, so you had no example no. for how to communicate. Mm -hmm. You're young, you're wild, you're moving in quick, and you and, don't know how to communicate with each other. And did I mention that we got married while I'm going through the police academy? So now I'm getting out of the police academy, going from East Orange, which has got orange groves and chickens at the time, and being thrown into the worst part of the original ghetto of Los Angeles and working murders and all kinds of things all at once. And my head's spinning. I'm changing, and she's got to deal with it. Um, and uh, so it wasn't easy on her whatsoever. But throwing that into the mix of it all, um, plain old stubbornness, I'm not going to give up, is what kept us going at the beginning, I believe. Yeah, now tell us a little bit about your work in the police force because 
you shared with me how you were really beginning to struggle with the existence of God during wow. your yeah. first uh, weeks in the force. Yeah, you know, my, the first day there, I'm handling a murder, and I've got um, the citizens of the, of the city jumping out of their houses, coming to lynch the guy we just arrested out of the back of the car and, and uh, do us a bit of harm. Um, so my head's spinning. Police work is weird. Um, it's a lot of excitement, but... You are sitting there with people dying in your arms every week, and the bad ones you'll stand over that are committing crimes and got the raw, got the bad end of the deal, and you won't blink an eye about it. But there are some truly beautiful people dying in, right in front of you going, why this one? Um, and you throw, you, you basically start throwing your faith away because you can't make sense heads or tails of it. Plus, I don't. I'm not reading the Bible. I'm, I'm like I said. I was brought up Catholic. I'm just going to church, trying to get a handle on it, and I'm not getting a handle on it. But you were going to church. I was one going to church with kids. Yeah, and I, I was yeah. I was working amazing hours all the time, changing all the time, not coming home much. So for police work, once you start grasping on to okay, I'm going to church again. I'm going to believe in God. Everything's going good, and then you see such evil happen that comes out on top i mean it's not a story where everyone there's a happy ending there is people the evil's winning a lot and you're sitting there going how can there be a god if this is all happening my perspective on it's totally different now but um as a young man starting off without a strong enough background on it um i've got a lot of uh shame that goes on from those first years because you get start getting as evil as you're, what you're dealing with, and you've um, you're you're playing this ballet where it's a thin line on whether or not you're the good guy or the bad guy because it's not fight fair. It's not it's not uh, what you see in the movies or the westerns, especially for me because that's where you know my my idols were in westerns, fair fighting and all. Oh no, nothing like that. You're there to win, and that's a whole different concept. So during this time, you were really you were not only struggling in your job, but this is carrying over to your questioning about God and what kind of a God allows this kind of a world. Susan, during during this time, what was your experience like as you're trying to learn the routine of marriage and you kind of feel cut off from what's going on in Greg's life? Uh, what's going on in your that, world? That's a really good word. It, it was it was cut off because the man that I saw on that couch and those green sweats were completely different you know, a year later. And all of a sudden he, he was home, but he was gone. And so that's what got me going into real estate is, you know, starting to do that, but still having the kids at home and, and things like that. So I was very, um, I guess lonely would be the best way to put it. So I filled my time with going over to his mom and dad's house. And so I was hoping that that would, you know, fill more voids and it would do more things to make, the emptiness that was in me. And then as time went on and real estate became more prevalent and it, it was quote unquote filling a void, the void just kept getting bigger and bigger. And though he was seeing the ugly, I was seeing all the pretty and the, you know, the, the sparkle and the diamonds and the, you know, yada, yada, yada. And so we were, we were going down com two completely different paths. And so it was really, it was really difficult. When did you realize that you were going on two completely different paths? Was that, ex was that very early in your marriage? 
I would I would say pretty early. I would say by our seventh year, five or yeah. <laughs> was there ever a point when it felt like you guys were too far apart to come back together? Yes, it was when we separated for four months. Separated and for four months. We separated for four months, and um, my career at that point had just started taking off. And I can remember um, going, "Oh my gosh, here I am." My career's finally taking off, and the money that Greg was making was what I was making in a month, and he was making it in a year. And so I was, I, I didn't want to share this with anybody else but him, you know? So that's when we decided to get back together after that four-month period. So money can bring love. Um, I thought so. And it's, it's, you laugh, you laugh. Um, I really did think so. And though that Greg and I did very, very well for a very, very long period of time, um, until June 2007, um, <laughs> it was, it was, it was what we thought it was going to be. But then we still had that void. We still had this, I call it the big empty hole in my chest. Mm. I don't have that big empty hole in my pocketbook is nowhere near what it was. <laughs> So it's obviously not money that could fill it. So you're searching through these years. You're, str- you're searching for fulfillment. You're struggling with God. You guys are struggling in your marriage. You're searching for the connection. Uh, you're getting very successful, Susan. And uh, not to say that Greg wasn't successful, but his job is very hard, and it doesn't have the, the glimmer and right. the fireworks that come with what you're doing. But um, you, you, were, you were quite successful. You were making as much as Greg in a month as he does in a year. Yeah. And I'm sorry. <laughs> and then the recession happened. Oh. Whew. Um, we actually saw it coming on about 2005. And at this time, Greg and I had, uh, I don't know, probably an 18-year run of, of very successful years. Um, you know, being in the who's who, the Fortune 500, top five realtor in the country, the whole nine yards. Um, 05 hit. I was doing about 75 transactions a year. I was doing meat and potatoes uh, down in Rancho Cucamonga. And um, all of a sudden, in 05, I did 47 transactions. And in... Six was 14. Yeah. In 03, we had just bought um, a house that we put... $750,000 down on. Um, the mortgage was the was $6,000 a month, and it was based off my worst month in real estate that I've ever had. And we still lost it all. We lost the motorhome, lost the, the boat, we lost the Lexuses, we lost the house, we lost 5,200 square feet of Louis the 15th furniture. I mean, the whole nine yards, everything. And when this happened, of course, you guys are playing it safe, and it sounded like, uh, did you ever think this would ever happen to you? Never. Never. What were, what were I had, you doing? I had a hold on the market. I knew everything. <laughs> Describe that moment when you realized you lost everything. It was June 7, 2007. Well, that's when we lost it all, yeah. That's when we decided that we were going to sell everything, we were going to buy an RV, and we were going to go travel to the United States for five years. And then you so, know about your marriage. <laughs> See, um, I retired back in 2004. I started having some health issues, and our, uh, one of our daughters ended up developing epilepsy. And she was going in for lots of surgeries and stuff, so we had a lot of medical stress on our family. And my money was just there. I didn't need to be there. I hit my 20-year mark, and I left. 
Um, so when the we lost everything. Yeah, when we lost everything, we still had some income coming in because of my pension and all. And instead of uh, moping about it and and having a problem with it, both girls moved out of the house already. We said, okay, we'll just get a motorhome, drive around a little bit, the uh, 400 square foot or 300 square foot motorhome. You'll learn about your marriage real quick. <laughs> there's That's, one car. There's one car. So when you get in an argument. Oh, sorry. So there's only one car. We were in a fifth wheel, and it was it was a nice fifth wheel. It had all the bells and whistles and all that good stuff. But the problem was, is if you got in an argument and you drove off, all of a sudden you're like, you're in the middle of Wichita or wherever, and you're like, crap, I got to go back home. <laughs> so you drive back home with your tail between your knees and, you know, your head. I mean, it was... It was so bad. Did, did that ever happen? Did you did you guys ever get in such a feisty argument that one just left the motorhome? <laughs> I left and went for a walk. Two miles later, I looked around. There's nothing but, you know, Zion National Park around me. And I'm going, I go back. And you have to finish the argument now. Because you can't go back and just be quiet. Because that's just not the way my beautiful wife is. So, um, And there's no room to shut yourself up in. There's absolutely no room. You can I mean, just whisper because you can hear from the TV to your bedroom. Yeah, I heard that. You can't whisper. We're from 5,200 square feet at that time. And we're back in this 400 square foot RV. You know, do, we're just, oh. do you remember what you guys argued about? How much I hated it? I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah, <laughs> she didn't like it. Um, we had uh, quite a hard time stumbling through not having any money. I mean, because we, we basically you get to a spot and you're stuck there until the next pension check comes in, and then you can move only so much, and then gas goes to $5 a gallon. So we weren't, weren't moving very far at all. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it made it real difficult because everyone else has got a job working around you, and we're sitting in there acting like we're on vacation, but really we're just surviving. And bored out of our minds, quite honestly. I mean, I'm so, going for walks and so This does not in any way sound romantic. This no. does not sound <laughs> no. like something I want to do right now, but there was it was romantic. There was parts that it was really romantic. You know, we, and this is funny because we don't even hardly drink anymore, um, but what it was is we called it, what was it? The martini dance, you know, because he would make these raspberry martinis for me that were absolutely wonderful, but now it's like we look at it and we're just like, we can't even do it anymore, you know. But it was it was the way you coped at that time, you know, and we didn't realize that until now. And so even at this point, from having everything to almost nothing, just each other, arguments, uh, awkward moments, some fun moments, uh, you still have no clue what God wants from you guys. I didn't. No clue for what God wants from me, but I know there's got to be something else out there. So I started filling my time by going to relatives' house and doing whatever they needed done around their home that they couldn't do because I can fix just about anything. So I go and fix things, wire docks, doing all kinds of things in the name of, hey, you know, if you're going to let me park my motor home here, let me help you. But really, I'm, I'm trying to fill a void. Mm. And I had been introduced and was saved at least for the first time when I was in my late 20s to 30s, some a partner I worked with introduced me to the Lord. We started reading the Bible while in between calls. He started explaining things, putting a different spin on things. And all of a sudden, my life sort of had meaning. But that partner got moved on to another division. So did I. I lost that connection. So I felt saved. 
I, I totally felt the Lord was around me, but now I don't know what to do with it. And I haven't received enough instruction or even smart enough to ask for more. Uh, I'm bouncing from church to church again. And then your, my falls away from the Lord were even deeper. And then my, I would come on back with full strength again. My, my sways were up and down. And now we hit where I'm retired. Um, and I just feel this big void. And I'm just trying to figure out what to do, volunteer okay, my time So you're with. beginning to realize that there needs to be more. So you're, you're on the track. You're, you've got the scent. And you're pursuing. Correct. So let's, um, I know we're going to skip quite a bit here. But if you guys get in as many little words as possible, bridge this gap between RVing and Mary Maggie. Because I want to talk now about how you guys became the parents of your granddaughter. And why, why, why in your, you know, living out of retirement and not having, losing everything, why would, what would drive you to become the parents of such a young girl? And you guys have already raised your own kids. It's almost like Abraham and Sarah in a way, you know, it's like, what are you, what are you guys doing with a kid that young? (laughs) So bring us up to that. We begrudgingly came back to California. We had such a stronghold in Alabama. We were going to stay there actually, but somewhere along the line, something we know now it was God (laughs) pulled us literally kicking, dragging and crying as we pulled out of the driveway of his cousin's driveway. And we, we drove all the way back to California. I thought I'd be jumping up and down and being really happy, but it was really hard. Once we got back within, by the time we got back in uh, July, by the time October, October, Kristen, our, our youngest daughter, or our middle daughter now, I guess, uh, Mary Maggie's biological mom, uh, was in a, a crash, which was also a crime. Her husband at the time pulled the, the wheel to the car, and they went flying into a light pole going through the And this, this was intentional. His this was intentional. He was drunk. It was Monday night and, or Monday afternoon. Yeah, he was trying to kill the family. Um, and so he succeeded with uh, the baby that she was pregnant with, which is Caitlin. And then Kristen came out bright purple. I mean, she was like bubble yum purple. And so every bone in her body just about was broken. Um, the baby, Caitlin, actually saved her, her, saved her, uh, saved her completely. She was actually driving. She wasn't supposed to be driving. She's an epileptic, um, but her husband was, was very, very drunk. And so she figured that was the best way. And he was just going to pull the wheel and kill them all. So, so, okay, so she's driving for her drunk husband. He reaches over, grabs the wheel, drives it into a pole, she loses her baby, the the baby in the womb, and Mary Maggie's in the back and somehow survives this. We just bought her a car seat. We just bought her a car seat. They had her in an infant seat. Those of you who have babies, the, the infant seats are clocked into a, a base. They didn't have the base even. They just had the actual infant seat in the truck. And so Greg and I had went back to real estate, so I had bought a car seat for us, his parents, and for them. And they had just laid it in the truck, and put the, the belt around it. And then go ahead. And then they got into the accident. Um, Caitlin died. Mar- uh, Kristen was supposed to die. Mary Maggie's seat cracked completely in half, but she was just bruised. And uh, the uh, husband 
was concussed, but um, nothing broken on him. So definitely you would say a miracle was there. Complete, protecting Mary complete miracle because not only protecting Mary Maggie in such a horrific crash, but the engine completely entered the passenger compartment and into my daughter. And that's why she was so mashed up. Um, they didn't think she was alive when they got there, and it was only a fluttering of her um, eyelids that they realized that this one's still alive. So she went through many days of uh, of, of hospital stuff and uh, ICU, and she came out and she lived through it. Um, but because of all that, she came home long recuperation at our house, and we tried to just stay as a family with uh, Mary, Maggie, because Mary's now in our custody. We're taking care of Mary and Kristen. Kristen, unfortunately, as time goes on, her epilepsy comes back fairly strong, but she's also having some psychotic episodes, and she can't get them under control. She gets um, committed a couple times and then uh, goes into assisted living, wherein when that happens, we've still got guardianship of Mary. And... And fighting the criminal case with Josh. Yeah, we got, we, we've got a criminal case going on. We've got family custody issues going on with the other family, with Mary. And, um, and finally, uh, with uh, my daughter going into assisted living, we um, take custody of Mary and finally adopted her last year. So, so you guys were obviously very willing to adopt Mary Maggie. Yeah, we, This they, wasn't just dumped on your lap. It was literally dumped on our lap when we were at the hospital. Uh, CPS. So, so then how did you feel at first when Mary Maggie's being dumped on your lap? Were you reluctant? Were you? Oh, absolutely not. We both looked at each other. I'd already said yes, and I looked over Greg, and I'm like, yeah. Greg's like, yeah. And so they literally gave us the baby right then and there at the hospital. When we had to go back to court, which was hundreds of thousands of dollars later, we're only down to $6,000. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, they they literally dropped the baby in our lap. We had to go to court several, several, several times. We went to find the CPS agents, and they're disappeared. We can't find them anywhere. Greg, detective of Los Angeles, cannot find the CPS agents. <laughs> Just C- CPS took care of it one way so they didn't have to be involved. And they took over, let us pay for it through lawyers instead of the county having to take control of it. So we, we took it on over. Um, but Mary's been nothing but such a blessing from day one. Now, how would you say that adopting Mary Maggie has changed your life? Wow, she, 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 is, she is a little image of God um, in so much so. Why don't you go ahead and talk about it? <laughs> Mary Maggie... Um, and this is something, this is what woke me up. My sister-in-law and brother-in-law, Greg's brother, who lives down in San Juan Capistrano, um, they have a very large crucifix in their home. And Mary Maggie uh, was uh, 14 months, I think, at the time. And she should have been saying a few words by this time, and she hadn't been talking. And they've never been to church. They, they've never, she doesn't know anything. She literally walked up to the crucifix and said, Jesus. And Sonia and I looked at each other, and I'm like, I'm so glad you're here because no one would ever believe me. And so from that moment on, we, we literally made a vow that if God gave us 
Mary Maggie, that we would do everything in our power. If we landed back in an apartment, in a two-bedroom apartment, so be it. She is going to the school, <laughs> basically. And so we did everything we possibly could. And she, she's she been an absolute joy. I love that. That story is just so cool. It just gives you goosebumps. Just like It's like Jesus just said, I want you to know me. So, Well, Mary Maggie, actually, <laughs> what she did is she pointed up to the cross and goes, Jesus, Jesus, he saved me. He hold me. It's Jesus. Now, she had fingerprints on her arm right here. We don't know if it was, sorry, we don't know if it was Josh actually shaking her, or we don't know if it was actually someone actually holding her in the car. But she literally, the only bruises she had on her after the car crash was from the um, straps of the car seat and the five point by you. <laughs> and she had these fingerprints right here on her arm. And that was it. She had nothing else. She didn't have a concussion. She had nothing. So would you say that Mary Maggie has played a role in your quest for God? Absolutely. No. In fact, I don't, I would reverse that. I think God used Mary Maggie to bring us back is what happened. And he and I realized this probably about a month ago. And I don't know if you saw, but he was crying previously up here one night, one night. And we realized that it was Caitlin and Mary Maggie that God used to bring us. He wants you back. He's going to do whatever it takes to get you back. And we realize that now. And it, it was a long, hard, painful uh, journey that we went on. And uh, it, he used them to bring us back. <laughs> yeah, and, and you, now you told me once that when you guys were, uh, Mary Maggie played a pivotal role in your decision to leave the Catholic Church. Oh, why, don't, right. why don't you tell us about that? Okay, this is amazing, and it has nothing to do with Our Lady of the Lake. It, it's the Our Lady of the Lake is a beautiful church, and it was very, very nice. And we that's were, the Catholic church. That was up the Catholic here, church that familiar. we were going to. But one night, and we were going between here and that church. And every time we came here, it was like, man, we're just we're like in our living room. We're just kind of having fun with our family. You know, it was just so, so nice. So, uh, let me stop you. At this time, you were considering leaving the church or do you have no intention to do so what happened was is that all the students at school you know they they began to have this bond and mary wasn't part of that bond we noticed and so we started asking questions who's doing what and i think it was noah parker the parkers um were one children's of, oh that's right now, yeah. um and so they had came up here two months after we did and they were from upland we found out so anyway long story short we were sitting in church one Sunday and Mary loves church. She, she can memorize Bible verses like you can't believe, but anyway, she is sitting there and she is just like fidgeting and she's fidgeting and fidgeting and fidgeting. And I'm just like, what is wrong with you? And I kid you not, I got slapped on the side of my face and said, you need to leave and you need to leave now. Greg looks at me and he's like, what is wrong with you? And I said, we have to go. And he goes, what do you mean we have to go? And I said, we got to go. We got to go now. <laughs> so you tell your part. Basically, um, I'd left the Catholic church a long time ago. I go with her. I go with her to, to keep her happy. Um, but I'm not there for anything else. I wish I was. I was really trying to listen to homilies. I didn't get it. Um, 
And so she's sitting there fidgeting, and we finally had gone about three weeks without going to church. And she um, was absorbing the uh, the Christian school up here through interaction with Mary Maggie and the ladies in the office and all. And she's um, feeling there's a difference. She goes to uh, church that, that day she's talking about. She's not comfortable. Mary Maggie's all over the pew. We finally get on out of there. And she goes, that didn't do anything for me. They're not talking about Christ. They're not talking about love. They're just, what are we in there for? I said, well, thank goodness. So let's uh, start finding a church together that we can go to. And we discovered Saturday night Bible study here. And um, on Sundays. Uh, on Saturday night. Saturday. On Sundays. Yeah. Sundays. That's close. It's a weekend, right? Um, so on Sunday nights. And with the vacuum with Susan finally realized um, this this new Christian faith has not only filled that vacuum, but overflowed through Susan. And to be on the same page now, She's finding direction. I've got direction. We're we're into the to the Bible and learning what we're supposed to do, and and um, it's it's wonderful, but um, it's difficult too because uh, good old Satan's going to start working harder on you, and he's going to start screwing with you more, and he'll do it in ways now that um, that are all or nothing, trying to get at you. Yeah, so you guys are, are now starting to get into the Bible for yourselves, and you're beginning to see a lot. Would you say you're beginning to formulate a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I, I'm very curious to hear if what you would say um, before, when you are in the Catholic Church, how did you understand God then versus now? How do you understand God now? What is the difference there for me um worshiping is what opens my soul i worship is a a huge part for me um i i need my women's bible study on thursday now um mary mcgovero uh convicted me one day because i was choosing to sub over coming to bible study and so um, trying to get that lawyer bill down. So she looked at you with her laser eyes and you, you got the point. No, no, I don't think it was Mary at all. I think it was God. <laughs> and she said, Susan, you need to make a choice. And I hope you make the right one. <laughs> I think was the exact words. <laughs> so um, the worship before Bible study, the worship before Sunday night Bible study, um, going to uh, Calvary Chapel Lake Arrowhead with the worship there. You know, I just, I just dove straight in. I mean, head first, and I, I'm still swimming. I love it. I mean, I love it when I go to work and Linda comes into the office and says, "Ladies, have we prayed yet?" "Oh no, we haven't prayed." And I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I just need this right now." You know, it was just amazing. It's we were we were just so enveloped. And then when Greg would come home, it, it was, I wish I had done this when he was a policeman. Because our life would have been so much easier, you know. I mean, he's he's just a welfare frog guy now, you know. And he comes home, and it's just, you know, it's much easier to to flip him from you know police work to to life home life, where we weren't we weren't doing that when he would come home. I don't know how to explain that any better, but it was um, it, it's just 
being completely involved in God. And that's your focus. Your focus isn't, you know, finding the latest fashion. Your focus isn't finding the latest Lexus. It's not finding, you know, the best way to sell a piece of real estate. It was finding God. And so we're, we're now going through a, another little thing that's happening. And, but it's easier for us this time because we both just sit down and, and pray. We even pray before we do bills together now. I mean, it's amazing. And, you know, it's, for me, it's very easy. For him, he's just, you know, sweating. But um, it's not a big deal. You know, it's just you're just paying bills. It's not a big deal. And so um, it, I think it has to do with the amount of, of contact I have on a weekly basis, I mean, daily basis, hourly basis, I should say, you know, where it's just, okay, let's just sit down and do bills. Yeah. We only have a hundred dollars left to live on for two weeks. Who cares? You know, we still make it, you know, I mean, we're still here. It's, yeah. it's fine. So God just takes a much bigger part of your life now. You understand him? As the entire part of our life is it? Yeah. Someone to talk to and seek mm-hmm. counsel from. And we were teaching Mary that now, though, actually, too, because she still has um, PTSD from the accident. And just two days ago, she recited the entire accident to us, and she was only 14 months old. We've never told her the whole accident. She's, she has no idea from our voice to her ears what happened in that accident. And I think yesterday was the first day that Greg actually heard Mary say the whole accident from, I mean, knowing that there was grass next to the car and to even to what color the truck was that she was in. 14 months old and she was able to recite everything. So it was, it was amazing. Yeah. Mary still wake up screaming, um, with the sounds of sirens and stuff. But for me, um, my uh, description of my faith and how I viewed God before and after, I think I told uh, Brandon it was a, vi- uh, a vapor, a mist, and a statue. Um, and now he's everything. I pray on just about every action I do, desperately listening every day because he whispers so quiet for me. Um, and uh, trying trying to constantly feel his presence to know what to do next. Um, The word, the scripture, now is my saving grace. It's my sword, my shield, my, um, my direction. Because when I'm really getting hampered and, and beaten up by Satan and he's just messing with me and screwing with me and putting all kinds of things in my head that shouldn't be there. All I have to do is open the Bible, start reading, and I can uh, vanquish him away with that. And I try to memorize some verses, and I'm not really good at that, but I really try, and if I can just recite those and do my worship in the car between my radio calls now and um, just try not to to question so much and, and just go with the flow. Because, you know, he's got his hand on you. You don't need to question what he's doing. Just just go with it. And when you get the opportunity to minister, which because I'm working welfare fraud, I have a lot of people that I will come across that are believers and down on the hope, their luck, and their focus is pulling away from the Lord because money is a really big stressor. And I really connect with that one. So um, I'll sit there and... and put away the badge and the gun and uh, start ministering with those folks, give them help. And I figured that's probably what the 
from the way I feel afterwards and the way it works out in front of me. That's what he's got me here right now for. It's, and I've tried for bigger paying jobs and my qualifications are there for him. And there's always a little door that shuts every time I try for one. And so instead of trying anymore, I'm just going to go along and, and keep doing what I'm doing. But, but he is there every at the start of my day, at the end of the, my day, he fills that entire void. Um, and I don't believe he wants me to be lazy about it, so I, I try to stay on top of my scripture and looking for opportunity that he's putting in front of me to do his work. Um, and guess I, I just don't have a hole anymore. It's hard to find enough time for everything I want to do now. Um, it's a different direction. That's so amazing. What do you think your life would look like today if God had not called you on this long adventure? Greg's not going to like what I have to say, but I don't think we'd be married. I really, we were going down two completely separate roads so hard, so fast, and so furious. Um, we did throw Satan on his heels though I think because um, he has to do something different now to, to get us um, and now that we're, we're together on the same page he has even a harder time so it's I, I can't it doesn't even feel like we've been married for 32 years it really doesn't um, We went. I went out to dinner with my 32 year old daughter last night and her and Jennifer or her and Mary Maggie are two peas in the pod. I, I don't even know how they're aunts. It's not even her daughter. So, uh, anyway, Jennifer is now seeing a difference in Greg and I, and she started asking questions about a month ago. And so last night she asked questions again and I'm just like, Oh, please God. (laughs) So hopefully, you know, we can, keep working that route and, and get those two over as well. I don't think once again, I don't know if we would be divorced, but we're, I'm stubborn enough to stick it out until someone else gives up. She may not have been. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But also be thanks to this road. Um, what I didn't share with you is as a policeman working homicide for so long and then having someone try to kill your daughter and then he gets on out back out and away from it because the justice system, though it's the best in the world, is imperfect. Um, I know how to kill them. I know what to do to get away with it. I know everything about it. And I was already planning on how to take care of it and giving myself enough time. Um, boy, you know, I'll tell you what, you open up that door sometime with your own daughter being hit, and Satan will just run right with it. Um, and then I got a vision during one of my dreams with good Lord showed me heaven. And everything else that had to do with it. And he was telling me basically, this is what you're going to lose. This is what you're giving up. And boy, did that screw with me for a couple of weeks. Because I was pissed being back here because it was so beautiful and so peaceful and and everything. So um, it took that much of a of a kick in the pants to get my head wrapped around. Okay, how else am I going to do this and trust him? So um, if this hadn't happened, 
Yeah, you know, I might be wearing orange, running running my can across the bars. Um, But um, it was a huge change of direction for us. Greg was, uh, we were at the hospital when we were given Mary Maggie. And uh, they just found out Kristen was on a respirator for 10 days. And she had just told Greg his, uh, her story. And Greg had that wild-eyed look. As you get to know Greg more and more, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. But he gets his wild-eyed look in his eyes. And I'm looking at it, and all was told to me is, fine, Greg, and fine, Shannon. Well, Greg McKnight works or is, lives in West Covina. We're in Riverside County Hospital. No, yeah, Riverside County Hospital. And Shannon Laren is a deputy out in Los Angeles. I called both of them. They were in the hospital within 20 minutes because they knew what Greg could do. <laughs> and so I was just like, you guys have to get down here, and you have to get down here now. And, I mean, they were there in 20 minutes. Yeah, that's an unfathomable amount of time for them. There's, there. Yeah, there's so no God's, way. God's hand was just completely All over on Greg, despite your human tendency to use your superior knowledge in the law to do away with your mm-hmm. enemy. And I still had a choice. And it's not like you, you you just, this is what I want you to do. No, you still have a choice. Go ahead and make the wrong one, I dare you. I'll put. So um, what is one thing you guys know now that you wish you'd known 20 years ago or back when you got married? That's a good question because I get that once in a while at school with the high schoolers. And what I tell them is uh, the one thing that they have that we didn't have at that time was that huge foundation of God. And they have that ability to make the right decision and pray on those decisions every single time where we didn't have that. Yeah, I'm I'm jealous of... Patmos, I'm jealous of the kids in the uh, Christian school, of these folks that get it so quick where I didn't. It was only myself um, thinking I'm smart enough to handle this myself. I could figure it out on my own. I don't need anyone's help. I am very non-social. It's hard for me to come to church. I want to sit in my own house with no one else around me. But you'll find that with a lot of policemen. Um, We've had enough public contact stay away from me and so and my wife is a social butterfly so so i i try to i try to um greg i, I want to do the same thing but then god called me to be a pastor so uh, and, and though he might want me to shine in some other ways um she and now thank goodness the the bible points out to me that uh, he wants us together to work with each other and to ask people for help to ask in a group setting for others, uh, this is my problem where I'm just going to handle it myself. You folks that are figuring it out early, the kids, I mean, that's golden. It's golden to have such a strong base because now what happens when when uh, the evil one goes and throws his best punch at us? I sort of look at Sue and go, I can't wait to see how God makes this one shine. Because it hits you hard instead of going, oh, why me? Right now, it's just like, this ought to be interesting. Let's see how this one turns out. I totally trust you, Lord. So you had mentioned um, your, your jealousy toward Patmos students. 
jealous of their coolness too. But, uh, <laughs> but why do you think that God took so long for you to get it? It's um, my own pride in a way. It's my own, uh, not only lack of in, lack of knowledge of of how to have a relationship with Christ and never being introduced to it. But you know how they say he puts his laws in your heart now. You know, everyone knows what's right and wrong. He knows what to do. I've heard his calling many a times, and yet how much effort. I put the same kind of effort into following that calling, to following that uh, that that yell, um, as I do anything else in life. Um, no, I I was lazy in my religion, thinking I knew enough. I know enough. This is enough. Hey, you know, if I go to church every Sunday, that's enough. Or I miss a couple times. Hey, I'll give a tithing. That's Living enough. Living in that comfortable cathedral. Yeah, I mean that's that's enough. I mean that's what that's what I've been told. Just do these things, one A, B, C, D, and you're there. But there's no meaning behind it. There's no substance. And so, it's I'm not going to blame the Catholic Church. It's my fault for not chasing it. I've read the Bible through a couple times, but I'm not getting it. I don't understand it. I'm skimming. Um, but I know something's there. I know something's there. And what did I do to go find out? How many Bible studies did I sign up for? Um, I actually did try to talk to my uncle a couple times, um, and he shuts that door. You would think I would have my own family pastor, my own person to go deep. Um, he's 80 years old. That's a different time span, a different time of life. Um, and he doesn't communicate that way. And so... Did I find someone else? Did I look? It's me. It's my pride. It's Satan getting to yell louder in one ear, and it's easier to listen than that to go find another place. So I waited patiently for my wife to, to, to come to these same feelings I had. But how much did I push her? How much did I take her to it? Yeah, it's really my issue of why I didn't get there. Yeah, so, um, oh. oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. More for I'm going to tell you real quick. Uh, last uh, summer, I had spoke with uh, Mary McGovero, and she uh, really recommended me to go to the women's retreat in August. And I went. I was a little nervous, and that's when I was saved. That's when I um, had the most amazing experience, and thank you so much for that. I'll never forget that. Amen. So if you guys... Were to if if the you guys then met the you guys now, what do you think they would think of you? <laughs> I thought the question was going somewhere else. Um, <laughs> I well, here you go. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go back to your green sweats. <laughs> I think um, I think that uh, I would think I was strange. I think because you, you're going to stick outside the box that society has, whether it be whatever religion you come up on, they've got this box that this is a normal person. You're going to be stepping into uh, outside that box. They're going to look at you and think of you as a fanatic, that you've got things wrong. You're believing in some cultish thing. Um, it's, 
Satan's got a big old hold on this world. And uh, I was part of, of that other side. And I would, I would uh, say, hi, it's nice meeting you. And then I'd go elsewhere. Uh, For me, I, I kind of got excited when you said that because the whole Catholicism part of my life wouldn't ever evolve. And I would have just walked right in here like nothing ever happened. It would have been pretty amazing, actually. So I kind of wish that actually happened. So mine's the opposite of his. <laughs> All right. So last question, since the clock is cutting us. Um, if you were to go back in time, no, let's not do that. If you were to right now, if God was to invite you on a similar adventure, would you go? Yes, absolutely. Because I... Uh, the person I am today, I am very, I'm very happy who I am today. I, I love knowing that the Lord is next to me every single second of the day. The answer is absolutely yes, because no matter what he asks of me, I'm going to go do. Um, I'm reading Job right now, and he's covered in blisters and boils and using a clay pot to scrape away at his skin. Um, yeah, you know, I've never had it that bad. He's not going to lose his faith. And there's a reason for everything. And I've seen so many people come and go, uh, good, bad, and bad things happen. to. It's all got this inner meaning. I don't, I don't need to know that anymore. I don't need to know where it's going. If I'm a part of this plan, I'll just run with it, whichever way you tell me, and blindly go because... It's for his greater glory, not what I'm getting out of it. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Susan and Greg, for uh, being vulnerable like this for us. Um, there, really is, there really is so much more to bring that I wasn't willing to go down certain roads because of how long it would take to come back. Uh, there, there, are, there are many things you guys can talk to him about, whether the, the uh, desire to murder and Greg's part of his life was, is absolutely amazing and how God uh, got him to convert from that action. And uh, Susan, we hardly even got to touch on your, you mentioned it, but we didn't get to touch on your experience at the ladies retreat here. Uh, most, some of the ladies at least are f- somewhat familiar with that. So, so there are some other things. If you want to know more, please, they love to share their story. When I asked them to come share with us, their answer was anything, any way that God will help our story to help others, we are there. So um, they would love to share with you guys.